I have some good news. Or some bad news, depending on how you feel about this next announcement. Tomorrow morning, you'll walk into work. Sorry about that. Uh, That's not what I meant. That's not the good news or bad news, depending on how you feel about it. We know that you'll probably uh, walk into work. Uh, But the boss says, hey, listen, uh, before you get settled, before you get started, uh, could you come and just, you know, meet in my office? I've got some exciting things to tell you about. And so you go to the office and and she says, hey, um, I want you to know that so-and-so is leaving. Jim is leaving his, uh, the company. He's transitioning on to bigger and better things. And we've got an opening that we'd like you to apply for. Uh, It's not senior management, but it's a management position. Would you be interested? And of course, you say yes on the spur of the moment because you're not going to turn down looking at the opportunity. And then you go and you look at the opportunity And it screams middle management. Is that good news or bad news? Is that something you're excited about or is that something that you're thumbs down about? Just, you know, show me right now. Give me a quick show of thumbs (laughs) instead of a show of hands. It's down. It's not very good. In chat, give us a thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, Is it good news or is it bad news? I think if we were to take a poll, uh, the odds are we would all say, I don't want a lot more responsibility without a lot of influence, without a lot of reward, because that's often what middle management is in our society. Middle management, they don't have the tools or the, the, the resources in order to get things done. Uh, They might not be trained uh, how to manage people very well. They're kind of just given the position and they're just expected to lead a team of some form. The worst part is, I think, the worst part is, is that a decision is made above them that they weren't a part of, but it's their job to enforce it to the rest of the employees and perhaps the rest of the customers, so much so... (laughs) That you're the one taking all the heat. You're the one taking all the, wait, why are we making this change? Or wait, why are you making this change? I don't like this. You're the ones on the front line receiving that feedback. It's the living embodiment of uh, bureaucracy, administration. But it's interesting. Because Jesus has a different outlook on middle management. He actually says that it is vital, it is necessary to have the outlook of being a middle manager if we're going to succeed with money. Today we are wrapping up our series called Money Talks. We've been having a series of talks about money because your money talks a lot about you. And I know talking in church Uh, about money that can seem like hey you're starting to tread into some personal things it's my money the way I handle it is my responsibility and you're right but the interesting thing is that your money is a mirror it tells you who you really are what you really value and it's a window it allows other people to see who you really are and who you really value If I want to know what you're like, I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to visit your social media feed. What I'm going to do is say, well, how do you spend your money? What do you spend your money on? That will tell me more about you 
than you care to admit. And if you were to do the same to me, it would tell you more about me than I would care to admit. The interesting thing is that God has said a lot about money. And if we apply what God has said about money, we can make money say godly things about us. So let me give you a quick recap as to what we've learned over the last three weeks. We've talked about being generous. Not because it makes us feel good, but because it literally saves lives. We become lifesavers when we become generous to people in need. We talked about saving before spending. Because saving actually puts us on an opportunity, on a path to freedom. It puts us on a path to influence, whereas not having savings puts us on a path to being indebted, to being enslaved to other people who we need help from. So we talked about making saving your first expense. And last week we talked about what to do when God blesses us with extra When a blessing comes from God that we didn't expect, we hadn't budgeted for, the best thing that we can do with that is to ask God, is this a blessing to me or is this a blessing through me? Because God longs to invite us to participate in blessing His creation, in blessing people. And there's been a question that we've asked each and every Sunday. And that question is, what is your money saying about you today? What's it saying about you today? Do you feel peace when you think about money? Or do you feel anxiety, stress, challenge? My hope and prayer has been that as we've talked about these things over these last three weeks, that there's been more peace and less anxiety. But... I also know that everyone at some point in their lives runs into a time when they're not sure about money, when they're not confident, when they don't know if they have enough, when they don't know if they're making a right decision with their money, when they've been given options about where they can spend and opportunities where they can spend, and they're not sure what to do. And that can cause anxiety. Today, we bring it all home and talk about how do we manage those times. If you're in a place of great peace financially, then praise God for that. I'm excited because as you have put steps uh, into place and into practice to be generous, God is going to use that. As you have put savings as your first expense, you've, you've experienced that freedom that God wants you to have from the pressures and the spending uh, consequences of life. And you've been a blessing to others. God has used you in great ways and will continue to do that. And I praise God for that. But if you're in that spot where you're thinking, yeah, I would just love some kind of key that unlocks the tough times, the times of anxiety, the times when we don't know, the times when all of a sudden there is an unexpected expense, the times all of a sudden where income drops because uh, a job has been lost or something like that. Jesus says, think like a middle manager. Why on earth would he say that? When middle management has, you know, absolutely no authority and takes all sorts of heat and all sorts of blame, why would Jesus tell us that we should think like a middle manager? 
Well, let me show you. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Luke chapter 16. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And we're just going to read through a few verses together. But Jesus tells this amazing story about why we should think and have the attitude and, and practice of being a middle manager. He says this in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. So let's recap what Jesus has just done. It seems like he's promoting immoral behavior. But Jesus neither neither condemns the behavior or promotes the behavior. So let's recap. There's an owner that says his business manager is misusing the funds. So bring in the books, you're done. Bring them in and it's over. And there's no disagreement with the opinion, right? There's no disagreement. The manager knows he's kind of gotten caught with his hand in the cookie jar and he doesn't know what to do. His options are bleak, but he says, oh, I know. I know what I'll do. I'll use the the time that I have left with the books in order to gain some friends for after I'm done with the books. I mean, he says, you know, uh, I don't want to do any manual labor, probably because he wasn't swole like us and, you know, could just jump into any form of manual labor and work on a farm or, you know, work on the highway department or anything like that on a road crew. You know, he's, he's probably just, you know, just out of shape. Not, you know, and that's not us, so we don't quite understand that. But he doesn't want to beg either. He's too proud to do that. That's just something he's not going to do. And so he says, I'm going to go to these people and give them discounts. I'm going to earn their favor so that when I'm done being the business manager, they'll welcome me into their homes. And let's talk about what it was like to hear that. Let's put it in terms that you and I would understand. How many of you have ever had a car payment in your life? Sure. Most of us, right? We've all had car payments. Imagine your bank phoned you up and said, hey, this is, you know, this is uh, Donnie at the bank. Uh, We want you to know that we've been thinking about how to help your loan. How much is it that you owe? I I owe $15,000, let's say. Owe $15,000 on my car. Great. Today, we're cutting it to $7,500. Have you ever gotten that phone call from the bank? Raise your hand. Type it in chat. You ever gotten that? No? 
The banks never phoned you and said, hey, just take your loan and cut it in half? Me either. (laughs) No one gets that. So this is an amazing thing that this, this sort of loan agent is doing for this man who owes all of this olive oil to have half of it cut and then to have bushels of wheat cut off just because. And then when the man loses his job... Those people that received those discounts, what are they going to do? They're going to say, yeah, I know the story. I know the man's being accused of dishonesty, but that's not the man I know. That's not the man that, that helped me. So in his hour of need, I'm going to help him. He was commended then by the manager, or by the owner. The owner of all of the wealth commended him because he was being shrewd with the time that he had and the resources that were at his disposal, even though those resources didn't belong to him. And I love that. He used his position and he used his resources with the time that he had left before the axe fell to gain friends so that he would be taken care of. That's shrewd. He built a whole network of people that that would like him and appreciate him because he acted benevolently towards him. Now, here's what you and I need to understand. Honest question, is that self-serving? Is it self-serving? The shrewd manager, the middle manager, is that a self-serving attitude? Yes, the answer is yes. Absolutely, he's self-serving. And Jesus says, leverage that instinct. Because he says this in the latter half of 8 and verse 9. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. In other words, Jesus says, be a middle manager with all that God has given you so that when you get to heaven, there are people waiting there because you helped them get there. That you'll have loads of people around you who are there because of you. And this is interesting because that means that Jesus is teaching us Christians something. That we don't handle our money, the blessings that God has given us well, naturally. So he says, let me give you a little trick. Let me give you a life hack. All of us are self-serving. We all have that instinct. Leverage that in light of eternity. Invest all the time you have with the money that isn't even yours to begin with so that you gain something in eternity. Jesus says that your bank account is a way that you can accomplish the kingdom-building purpose of God. And Jesus invites us to leverage that desire 
of self-preservation. To do whatever it takes, including using our wealth to welcome people into eternity. Why? Because our quality of eternity depends on it. Let me explain what all of that means. Let me put that into context. How is it that we ultimately benefit when it comes to using our resources and our money? Well, Jesus kind of gives a picture of you can use your money in a way that helps fund opportunities for people to respond to the gospel. Conversely, if you decide, nope, I'm just going to use this all for me, my hunch is that there will be a group of people who say, why didn't you help me when we get to heaven? And the quality of our eternity depends on what we do now with what God has given us. Gladiator was right. What we do in life echoes through eternity. We have a value here at our church. It's the very first core value of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And it is this statement, lost people matter to God and he wants them found. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. It's the motivation for why God does anything with his creation. Is because he is moving to a time and a place in eternity where lost people come home and all gather together around the throne and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He will wipe every tear from their eye and he will, we will all gather in this new heaven and this new earth and he wants it packed. He doesn't want anyone to miss out. And that's why he literally moved heaven and earth with the death and resurrection of his own son. He is doing whatever it takes to find lost people. If that's God's first value, the question for believers, for Christians, for Christ followers is, is that our first value? value. That's our churches, our denominations first core value. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. There's another church that I follow and I I wish I could remember the church that coined this first. But they have another way of saying almost the exact same thing but this time with the personal responsibility built in. Found people find people. Found people find people. It is interesting that this story is Luke chapter 16, right after Jesus has told three other stories in Luke chapter 15, the hinge point of Luke's account of the life of Jesus, the central point of the motivation of why Jesus would come at all. And that is the stories of the lost sheep, the lost coins, and the lost sons. Because of time, we never preach Luke 15 and 16 together, but Jesus did in its original form. When he ends with stopping with, uh, are you going to come in and celebrate that the prodigal son has returned home? He automatically starts telling this story about the shrewd manager. Why? Because money is the way that we help welcome people home. 
Jesus connects the two. There is no evangelism without giving. There is no giving without evangelism. The two work together. And so the question, as we read through this story, it's one of my favorite stories, and it's one of those ones that I come back to as a way to examine myself, and I would encourage you to do the same thing, is simply, are you and I doing this when it comes to our possessions? Are we as a church doing this, or are we going through life like it's about us, our needs, our want, our stuff? And Jesus says, let me give you the cure. Think like a middle manager. It's not yours. You don't have a lot of time left, and someone's going to demand an account for what you did with what was never yours in the first place. What account are you going to give? Jesus goes on and says, we spend a lot of time worrying about things that don't even matter because they don't last. He says in verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, Who will give you property of your own? Money is a small thing to God. People are not. If we cannot be faithful with a small thing like money, then we will not be faithful with people. If we cannot do something good where there is no risk to us because it belongs to someone else, God will not entrust us with more opportunity later. I think one of the most condemning statements of whether a church will live or die is its giving, obviously, because it's a corporation and it's a 501c3 in our world and it tries to meet those needs. But there's a direct correlation between the health of a church and the giving of a church. Because the health enables outreach, it enables evangelism, the giving enables that. And if one is missing, then the other will fall. And there's a spiritual correlation that God's not going to send the people that he finds precious to a church that will not do anything it can and everything it can in order to reach them. And as we've said all along, the way you handle money says more about you than you'd care to admit, than you know. We read in verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The Pharisees in Jesus' day heard his condemnation and said, we don't see the connection. Of course, we love people. 
Of course we love God. How dare you challenge us about how we handle our money? And the Pharisees of all time do the same thing. And that is because our heart does not always want what God wants. It's true for me. It's true for you. We naturally believe that right now we are doing the absolute best with what we have. And Jesus says, I want to push against that. I want to lean into that. I want to challenge that assumption. Because are we doing our best or are we doing what is in our best interest? The two don't often connect with the interests of God. And so what Jesus is saying here is that we will always act in our best interest. That's one of the reasons why we gave our lives to Jesus Christ in the first place. Hell does not sound as appealing as heaven, right? And the fact that Jesus died and paid for our sins, we put our faith in him, we follow him, we get eternal life, that's a win. Of course, that's in my best interest to go to heaven. But Jesus says, don't assume that you're always doing what God has as his best interests. And let me show you that with the example of like time. Tony Dungy, the famous uh, Super Bowl coach, devoted Christian, has written a number of devotional books and guides, particularly for men. Highly recommend their books. Um, one of the books that I'm reading now uh, as part of my devotional time is a book called Uncommon. And it's like a, an appetizer book for men who have not really read the Bible consistently in the past and they find the Bible you know, difficult to read or books to read and, and things like that. And so this is just like a little bit of an appetizer, a snippet to study a little bit of the Bible and learn how to apply it with some good questions. It's like one page a day, half a page a day. It's, what, it's a favorite of mine right now. And this is what he wrote this week. I don't know anyone who says his or her mission in life is to choose style over substance. But that's how many people live. And that keeps them from valuing the things that really do have worth. It shapes their decisions about careers, relationships, where to live, how to raise their kids, and virtually everything else. A lot of people want to be good parents, loyal and committed spouses, mentors to others, and good friends to all, but many don't actually do what is necessary to become those things. They are too busy trying to impress others, establish their lifestyle, and add to their possessions. And the result is that the idea of being people of substance takes a backseat to being people of style. They try to serve two masters. And the things important to the true master get neglected. If we really want to live lives of significance, we need to value what God values and choose to live according to those values above all else. Andy Stanley said it this way. If you work 60 hours a week, that's a long week, right? 60 hours a week is a long time. 60 hours a week and you sleep 8 hours a day. You get 52 hours a week to do whatever you want. Don't let all your time, wealth, influence get consumed 
on you. No one can serve two masters. That's how insidious this is. That's how dangerous this is when we look at why and how do we be rich. Because one way makes us rich in possessions and the second way makes us rich towards God. Our time is limited on this earth. And people's eternities are at stake. And the quality of our eternity is at stake. And it all centers around death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're not rich towards God by doing everything you can with the resources that aren't even yours to begin with, you can be. You can be. You can start by simply adopting the mentality of being a middle manager. You can use your money so that when the master evaluates your life and what you did with what he's given you, he says, look at you. You brought a number of people home who wouldn't have made it otherwise if you had not given, if you hadn't given your money. If you hadn't given your time. That means that you can give to your local church. It means be generous. But that also means be a personal representative of your local church. That means bringing in people. Inviting people to come to a Sunday service. Inviting them to watch. Join us online experience before they come it means doing whatever you can hey if you come you know afterwards we'll go out for steaks and steaks are expensive but people are more valuable than steaks think like a middle manager be inviting people be sharing be promoting be connecting be engaging and welcoming doing whatever you can with those who don't have a plan for eternity or who have a really bad one. Find out where they can put their hope, no matter who they are or how they've lived in the past, that there's hope for them. And Jesus says, I know I'm asking you for everything. I get that. So think like a middle manager. It's not yours to begin with. And the true master will ask for an account of all that we have done with all that he has given us. Our resources, our time, and our relationship. Our relationships. In other words, you've got a boss who's given you a job. And you answer to him. So please the boss. Lost people matter to the boss. He wants them found. Use everything he's given you to leverage the results that he's looking for. And when it gets hard, remember that Jesus says that middle managers have the best outlook on life because they remember that it was never theirs, that they only have borrowed time to begin with, 
and all they can do is use what they have and trust God with the results. When you live like what was never yours to begin with is something to be invested, you end up with a reward, a personal reward that lasts for all eternity. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for this reminder that we have that we have a deadline and that we are not owners of what you have given us. We are stewards. And I pray that you would help us to use that well so that we may be trusted with true riches. Relationships with people that will last in eternity. May it never be said of us, Lord, that because of what we did with our resources, that because of what we did in our, with our time, that there will be someone in eternity who misses out. So, Lord, speak to each and every one of us through the power of your word, through the power of your spirit, and help us to adopt that attitude of being a middle manager, that what we have is not ours, it's yours, and that we have the privilege to benefit when we invest in what matters to you. So would you help us to invest in what you're building because lost people matter to you and you want them found. May that be true of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.